Imagine if each morning when you wake up, you're smiling and looking forward to your day, knowing you are happy even while you're dealing with grief and loss. The Grief and Happiness Podcasts inspires, comforts, and supports you with each new episode. I'm Emily Zerothret, welcoming you to explore with me your life of endless possibilities. Aloha. I am so glad to introduce my great good friend Melo Garcia from After Chloe to you today, who has a, a passionate story of how she deals with life and grief and happiness, too. So hi, Melo. Can you, you having a great day? <laughs> yes, yes, I am. Thank you for asking, Emily. Thank you so much for asking. I am having an amazing day and thank you for having me. So honored to be here. Thank you. You're also known as After Chloe, which is like everything you do. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Well, in 2010, my dad died very suddenly. And then in 2011, Chloe, my daughter, my infant daughter died um, after being born preterm 57 days. And then in 2012, My mom died and it was a lot of loss. And I went to 14 different therapists trying to get some, I think, relief or I thought cure or fix uh, at the time for my grief. And nobody spoke grief. All these therapists just didn't speak grief. And so I had a background in psychology. And so I decided to go back to school and really learn and study and learn how to speak grief to others and to try to normalize the conversation. And organically, some things happened. And after Chloe was born and um, after Chloe is a community for people that want validation in their grief process. And um, it's uh, it's been quite a ride. I sometimes as I speak it out loud, I cannot believe the opportunities and the community that I've built out of something so impossible. Um, but it's a community where we have a website, we have Facebook groups, we have courses, we have an annual online uh, summit to support people through the holiday season. And it's just been amazing and wonderful. Oh, and I have a podcast, a podcast too. Yeah. I'm just so impressed with all, all you do. There's, there's so much and you help so many people and that, that just, um, it thrills me to be your friend when you're, you're such a special person to be able to help so many grievers. And you were probably the first person that I remember talking about speaking grief because once you said it, I thought that's the problem. <laughs> Nobody does that. No, I think it's such a, you know, it's a difficult language to learn. And it's definitely different for every single person. You know, I'm a Hispanic. And so Spanish, there's different dialects. There's different areas within Mexico that you speak certain types of Spanish. Spain, you speak Spanish you know, most Basque are from Spain. And so they speak a different dialect. So I understood kind of the language of grief in the sense that I knew that there was going to be different versions of the language. 
But so many people don't even attempt to speak grief. So many people don't attempt to understand grief, unfortunately, until they're propelled into it. And then all of a sudden, it's like eyes are wide open. But I will say, due to the pandemic, I think we as a society, we as a world are like, oh, this is grief. And all the the freedoms and the the things that we all took for granted day to day have been taken from us. Every single person has been affected by the pandemic. So it's my hope that something so impossible and unfortunate will help us to, again, open up the dialogue. Everybody learns to speak grief, at least the basics, right? And um, it's going to change kind of the trajectory of the way that grief is viewed and the way that grief happens. I, I agree with you there. Uh, of course, I met you before the pandemic. And so I've, I've been kind of in on this transition, too, of, of the way people talk. Before, it seemed like people would do anything they could to get around speaking grief. They didn't want to talk about death, loss, anything like that. I, I think part of it came from fear because people are afraid they'll get emotional too, or they don't want to think about dying or somebody they know dying. And anymore, we're all knowing people who are, are dying. And it's, it's really good to be able to carry on these conversations before somebody dies so that it's not such a shock and you don't feel so alone out there when it actually happens. It, that that sounds like the way you felt too. Yeah. You know, I used to feel a lot of shame and guilt because I have such a phenomenal, blessed, happy life. And it took me a really long time to be able to collaborate that joy and that happiness and insert that into after Chloe. And I think that it was really when the pandemic hit that I recognized that life is so just so quick to change and whatever that may look like for each individual. And I recognized that I had to truly live authentically and allow myself the permission to show my blessings, to show my happiness, to show my joy in addition to the grief. And it's not to say that, you know, you'll catch me on any one day on my stories in tears because I miss my daughter more than anything in the world. I miss my parents more than anything. But in the same breath, I'm equally as blessed because I can go and 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 donate in my daughter's name to a school or I can get on, you know, any one of my platforms and speak about my parents and how much they meant to me. So I can recognize that through the pandemic, it really made me understand and not either or. It was and the grief and the happiness and the joy, the grief and living after loss. And so it's not that I'm grateful for the pandemic. I mean, this has been horrific, but I'm again going to look at what I can do with it. 
And it's just like, you know, with my parents' death and my daughter's death, I, I really had to stop and take a look at what am I going to do with this? And I'm no different from anyone else. I think that I've just never been afraid to open up the dialogue and have the conversation. So many people are, and it's such, such a gift to them when they run across somebody like you who can, who can talk to them because they, they just, they don't know where to start. I know when I first started doing the, the work and grief that I'm doing and, and writing my book, it was before the pandemic. And I didn't really think about happiness so much in, in conjunction with grief until the pandemic started. And then when the pandemic came along, I thought we, we have to be able to be happy and grieve at the same time to survive. You know, <laughs> Otherwise, it's just there's just way too much doom and gloom and it's going to take everybody down. So I, I have seen such value in, in happiness practices, in smiling at people, just whatever I can do to foster the happiness and I, I kind of see that in you too, especially in those delightful videos that you have on Instagram. <laughs> yeah, they are just hysterical. And I, I just love it because it just shows such a, a fun side of you. And it's like, wow, if she can do that, then we can do that too. You know, I my mother was such a light and she never saw the bad in anything. And so she lived her life. And, you know, I mean, again, if you heard her story, she had a really tough upbringing. She, she got married when she was 16. She, you know, built her own business. My, my mother was a powerhouse and I am polar opposite of that. I'm very logical and pessimistic and hesitant. And when my mom died, I really lost the little bit left that I had of myself after losing my dad and, and Chloe, my daughter, prior to that. And it took me a long time to really find myself. And when I found myself, I found that I'm a pretty happy-go-lucky person. And I, again, felt a lot of pressure to not show that out of respect to all of the grievers out there. And then I think over time, it was too hard to be inauthentic. And as my grief evolves, there's more joy and happiness than that heaviness and sadness. And that's not to say again, like I don't have hard days, but I think that we as a society and as individuals who every person has some type of grief in their life, I think it's so important to recognize that that grief is with us, but there should be something in your day that can bring you a little bit of happiness and joy. And so I've really leaned into that. And again, not to take it so seriously, because I think you know, as I evolve and my community evolves, I think you can see in my content that it used to be really heavy and hard. And when you're talking about a dead baby, when you're talking about your parents being dead, that's, it, it's a heavy topic. But in the same breath, I think I had to really focus on what remains. And that really kind of goes back to all the love. And, you know, I am 
forever extraordinarily blessed to be my parents' daughter and to be Chloe's mom. And those titles in itself bring me so much joy and happiness. There's no sadness there. It is, is it's, it's a title that I wear with honor and I yell it from the rooftops every chance I get. So I think the reels or the TikTok, whatever you want to call them, and just me paying honor to that love, you know, I think it would make anybody gleeful, you know, just, yeah. just so happy and excited. So yeah, that's where that comes from. They just tickle me. Uh, everybody out there, you should go on Instagram or TikTok and look her up. <laughs> yes, Chloe's dad would love that. Chloe's dad, I think, likes making them way more than I do. But yeah, thank he's, you so he's hysterical. So <laughs> I, I just love watching the, the two of you. It's yeah. just, how do you come up with all those things yeah. that you do? It's really neat. Yeah, thank you so much, Emily. Now, I've, uh, I've noticed with with me that people have a hard time saying how can you be happy when your husband died mm -hmm. and especially when i got married again people had a really hard time with that i'd been married to jacques for so long and people were used to me being jacques wife and actually i still felt like i was jacques wife because we didn't get unmarried we didn't get divorced our, our marriage didn't end just because he died. Mm. And it, it wasn't until I was dating my next husband and right. he said something about my ex-husband. And I said, oh, no, <laughs> I don't have an ex-husband. I have a husband who died and you can call him that. <laughs> and wow. that that really created a, a profound discussion for us where we knew each other on a whole different level after we had that discussion. Because I think when, when you love somebody, and, and people will ask me, well, when do I get over this grief? Or when is this going to end? And I say, well, no, it's not going to. <laughs> as long as you love somebody, you're still holding them in your your heart. You're holding Chloe. You're holding your, your parents. I'm holding my parents and my husbands and my sister and my aunts and uncles and everybody else and lots of friends. They're still part of me and part of my life experience. So I think uh, I think that's why I relate to you so well is because you you, you speak of your family uh, showing that you still love them you know that there's there you may not be able to talk to them in person but they're still part of your family. I think that you have to recognize your grief and the loss of your loved one as you're able. Mm -hmm. I think for a really long time, I couldn't digest to understand the, the finality of the losses that happened. But over time, I was able to recognize that I only had to take it as I was able to take it. And I think that I went through different phases of gaining understanding and then there's times where I'm like, I just don't know why this all happened. And that's fewer, fewer moments now than versus, you know, five years ago. But as I evolve and really learn and understand my own personal grief process, what I understand to know is that it's really what you can digest 
and that you're able to live with. Because if you're in your grief and you're not living, then you're not processing the grief and the loss. If you understand it and you begin to process it and you begin to live and there is no joy and happiness, you're still living. And you must recognize that you have to allow yourself the respect to feel what you feel and to let it come. Because I think when we set up these titles and these expectations and this is the emotion you're supposed to be feeling now, this is the, you know, and and that's why the, the five stages of grief can be dangerous Because when you set up those expectations, or even when you're listening to someone like me, or you're listening to somebody like Emily, you're like, wow, I should be feeling this. I should be doing this. And what I've realized is, is that I've never met two people that have the same exact process. I've I've met two people that have had the same exact losses. I've met people that have had the same exact exact losses that I've had. I've met people that have had the same exact losses that you've had, Emily, but I've never observed that they process it the same. And so I think for myself, what I really had to do is put down any expectation. I had to really meet my grief exactly where it was in that moment. And I think that's really served me. Now, certain personalities certain individuals, they need to know, they want to know what's going to happen, what that looks like, how it's going to feel. And usually those individuals do better with kind of giving themselves a time frame and giving their emotions and their feelings a name, but you can do that moment by moment and still allow yourself the respect to meet your grief exactly where it is. And I think that that's what can serve somebody the best. And there's no way to know that. Like, you know, listen, like when we talk about your husbands, we don't say ex-husband. We don't, you know, obviously I, I understand that. I knew from the first time I ever talked to you, you have phenomenal, exceptional love stories, but neither of those love stories have a relationship to another. They're at different parts in different times of your life, but they're equal in the sense that you feel them, you love them. You know, we both, we honor Doc and, and, and Ron always, but there's no need to compare the two. There's no need to dissect and well, because it ended, you did this, or because it didn't end, you did this. We won't, we don't know. We just kind of have to feel through that and get through that. And so I think the best thing is to respect your loss and to respect your grief. And I think that it's always changing. You know, if you talk to me tomorrow, I'm not going to be maybe in the headspace that I am today. And just because I speak grief 24, seven, 365 days a year, doesn't mean that I'm not allowed my own human experience. Just like, you know, whoever's listening is allowed their human experience. And so I think grief is such an intimate personal journey that I think I'm effective at what I do because I could never, ever diagnose that or stress that or tell you how to grieve ever, but I can sit and hold space with you and validate wherever you are in your grief journey. That's so important. 
I think a lot of times, especially people who haven't lost someone significant before, when they find themselves in a place of grief, they don't have a clue what to do. And a lot mm-hmm. of times they're, they're like paralyzed. They, they can't, can't figure out who to talk to, what to say, what they should be doing. And I always say there are no shoulds. You, you do what you need to do under the circumstances you're in at that moment. And then, as you said, the next moment may be different. And recognize that, too, that it's okay that whatever happens, happens. And it's okay. And it will be constantly changing and constantly different. And as long as you realize that you, you don't, that there's not a model that you have to follow or a list that says you, you have to behave this way. I've, I've had people criticize how I behave because they didn't think I was grieving correctly. <laughs> That's your problem. You know, I'm, I'm doing what I need to do for me. And a lot of times, I know people ask me so many times, especially after Ron died, because I didn't talk to that many people after Jacques died, but they're always saying, how are you? And I thought, why are you asking me that? What is it you want me to say? And it kind of bothered me when they they first started doing it. And I kept getting it so much. I thought I got to come up with an answer to this. So I started saying I'm doing the, the best that I can. And that was always the truth because that was what I was doing in that moment. And when I started saying that, I realized that I was, I believed it too. And up until that point, I was kind of hanging out there. But once I realized that I really was doing the best that I can at that moment, then that made me feel a lot better. Yeah. It's so important for you to, again, own it and to allow, allow yourself to be in that authenticity of like, sometimes I don't know how I am today, or I am mad, or I am sad, or I am this is impossible. And all of those answers are the same as, you know, I'm doing the best that I can do. But a lot of times I think that we tend to feel shame in our grief process. Mm -hmm. And we also feel as if we can't say exactly how we're feeling. We can't communicate exactly where we are in our grief journey. I also think a lot of it is, is, the examples that have been set for you, what you've seen your whole life. I know my parents have no problem expressing love for each other. They held hands all the time. They obviously were deeply in love. I don't recall ever hearing them say to each other, I love you. I don't recall them ever saying, I love you to me ever. It was just something that was kind of understood, but it also made it confusing for me. And I think I didn't, I didn't have the example of living full out was love. And it took me a while to figure out how to do it. Once Jacques and I got together and we were just so happy, but it, it, uh, I didn't know how to talk to start off with. I just had to, to figure it out. I, I wasn't sure how to express myself. And I think that happens a lot in grief because we, we think, and that should word again, should I be saying this? Should I be doing this? Is it, the right thing to do? Am I doing this right? And that's the answer is different for everybody. There's no, no shoulds. Right. I think too, uh, like you said, environmental 
you know, genetics, personalities. I think that sometimes we believe that emotion and vulnerability is weakness. Mm -hmm. And so the stronger you are, you know, or like, you know, I, I, I see a lot, you're so courageous, you're so brave. I don't really like those terms personally, because again, I think that you put a definition or a word as a descriptor that is a pressure and an expectation. So I think that again, even when you're dealing with environmental or you're dealing with your upbringing, you're dealing with your roots of even understanding a funeral or so many people I know were like, I had never been to a funeral before, before I lost blank. Or my mother was like, you better not cry. My dad, my dad personally was always like, why are you crying? I'm going to give you something to cry about. You don't cry. And so that really set the tone for me being able to process emotions and feelings. And so when my dad died and when Chloe died and my mom died, I was kind of like sent down a rabbit hole of not knowing what to do with all this emotional and even physical at times pain and suffering. And I had to really reassess what I understood loss to be, what I understood grief to be. And again, I believe that grief stays with us and the grief has grown and evolved and it's taking, you know, it takes turns and, 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 and sometimes I have to pivot. Sometimes I get stuck, but I think as long as you're able to identify and process it the best that you can and allow it. I used to be like, I do not want this. I don't want to grieve. I, I, I just want to go back to, you know, and I use air quotes and I'm being facetious, normal, but there is no normal. There is no, you know, pot of gold at the end of that rainbow. Instead, I think it's just really centering in on what your driver is, whether that's identifying as your loved one, the type, you know, daughter, sister, brother, you know, parent, child of, uh, spouse of your loved one, or it's identifying that love that remains. And it's what will help propel you into living mm-hmm. because I think that that's always the goal. See, people re- recognize grief as I can't live versus I believe that grieving helps you to find that life after loss. And so I think once you can come to terms with whatever your definitions are, not that that has to be your definition, but to help you to live after loss. And I I think if you would have talked to me five years ago, I was not joyful and happy. If you would have talked to me three years ago, I was not necessarily joyful and happy. If you talked to me last Wednesday, I was not joyful and happy. So you've got to recognize that somebody's always changing as they navigate their grief journey. And there, there's no right or wrong, right, Emily? I think that that's something that I really stand by and live by. Like we shame people, you know, how people get body shamed. I think there's so much grief shaming oh, yes. that goes on. Whether if you're happy, you're wrong. If you're sad, you're wrong. If you, you, you haven't grieved long enough, you're grieving too long. You're, you know, and again, I'm like, who are these grief police? Like, who are these people? And that's where I recognize that 
I just don't, I grieve how I want to, when I want to, what time I want to yell it from the rooftops and grief is not a dirty or bad word. That's right. And it's, it's important to recognize that even if, if you have moments or periods where it gets to you, you can know that you're not going to stay there forever. And, and that knowledge that there's, there's some joy on the other side has, has helped me get through. For instance, I, there's a couple things that trigger me. Ron Jacques was a fabulous singer. And he performed a lot of different places. And, and generally, he always tried to work in the song My Funny Valentine because he knew how much I loved it when, when he sang it. And, and he would always, after the show, apologize to me because he said, the words in it just don't fit our relationship and they just don't have anything to do with us. But it just, <laughs> he still liked to sing it to me because he knew I, I liked the song. So, I, boy, if I hear that song there, there's going to be a tear or more. But I know that uh, I'm not going to cry forever. It's not something that put me in a spot like that. And with Ron and I, I remember one day when he came in with this uh, little tape recorder. shows how long ago it was. (laughs) And he says, i got to play you this song. I heard it today. So I had to figure out a way to to tape it so that I I could play it for you. And it was Stevie Wonder's song, As. And I'm sure I'd heard it before, but I hadn't paid attention to it. But once I listened to the words, he said, this is us. This is our relationship. And for some reason, that song keeps getting used in commercials. <laughs> and so I'm crying at commercials. But they're, they're really kind of happy tears. It's this kind of conundrum of uh, how can you be two things at the same time? But you, you can. So... I think it's very important for us to forgive ourselves when we feel like we're not doing it right and to forgive others when we think that they're judging us. And it's important for us to not judge how other people react to our grief because they're probably doing the best they can. Mm -hmm. And I I didn't realize that to start off with, but when I started realizing that I thought they've never been in this position. They don't know. So I have two pit bull rescues and one's name is brother. He's the older one. And there's one named Cholo and Cholo's like this chocolate Brown. His little face looks like a teddy bear, very handsome boy. And Cholo is a pit bull German shepherd rescue. Oh, wow. And he met another German shepherd and her name is Callie. And Callie was a neighbor's, but we have a dog walker because Cholo's got a lot of energy. (laughs) Cholo keeps all of us going. And so Cholo and Callie became the best of friends. And so she would perch up on her fence and they would talk. They would bark back and forth all day. Yes. And they were just in love. And he would, when he would go with the dog walker, he'd look for her. Well, they moved Hmm. and he stopped eating. He lost about six pounds and he loves YouTube. He loves to watch Jake Paul on YouTube. My dogs love Jake Paul. It's so funny. And um, he stopped watching YouTube. He didn't want to, he just didn't want to do anything. So I, you know, yes, I'm after Chloe, but I didn't think about what it was. So I took him to the vet and the vet said, well, he's a little depressed. Has anything changed? And I said, oh, his best friend, his girlfriend, we call him his, her, her, his girlfriend, his girlfriend moved. He said, oh, 
that so profound. I said, he's grieving. I said, what do you mean, Dr. Sardo? He's grieving. He says, he's grieving. And so I call Chloe's dad and I'm like, Cholo's grieving. What do I do? And immediately I go into this moment of wanting to fix him, wanting to help him. This is my puppy son. I want to take care of my puppy son. And in that moment, what I realized is, is that every single person that we interact with as grievers, they want the same. I, of course, have no ill intention towards my poppy son. That's what I call him. I love him as if he's my child. I want him to be okay. I don't want him to not eat. I don't want him to not sleep. I don't want him to be sad. So I just want to help him. So I take him to PetSmart. I buy him all these toys. He could care less. He's like, I miss my friend. And what I realized is, is I just had to be there with him. So every day, pet him. I would I'd brush him with a brush because he loves that. I started taking him for walks instead of the dog walker. And what it did is, is it didn't change his process. He's barely starting to feel where he's coming back to you know, his, his normal routine, but he's still sad. And not only was it transformational for me to watch another, you know, an animal grieve so close to me, but it was also very eye-opening because my intentions were never malice. My intentions were never bad. I wouldn't do anything to hurt that little dog. I would die for that little dog today, but what I recognized is, is that so humans that say horrible things sometimes that don't know what to say, that get it all wrong, according to us, I judged them as much as they were judging my grief and wanting, they just want me to be okay. And so that experience that I've had this past year, it's really changed my eyes and my viewpoint on grief and loss. It's really changed the way that I perceive people that don't speak grief. Because I think before I was a little, I, I was judgmental. And I'm like, you don't speak grief. What's wrong with you? What is wrong with you that you don't speak grief? Well, God bless you that you don't speak grief. And so to give people the benefit of the doubt when they say, are you going to try again? Are you going to date again? Are you going to get over it? Are, why are you not celebrating the holidays? Why are you not okay? That experience with Cholo losing his best friend made me recognize, because you could see him. He was like, mom, just leave me alone. And I'd be like, you know, I've got in a clown costume to like entertain him. I was like, I was trying to reach out to Jake Paul's people to make a video for him. I wanted to do whatever I could that my poppy son was going to be okay. But in reality, my poppy son was in the spectrum of his grief. And instead of allowing that, I was trying to manipulate that and fix that and make it okay. So I really had to check myself, Emily. And what it did is it gave me a lot more empathy towards those who don't speak grief. Uh, your story is so profound. What a, a perfect way to give an example that people can relate to. And maybe next time they will feel differently. They'll experience things differently. 
And to let you know, in January, we set up a time for Cholo and Callie to see each other. Oh, how cool. That'll yes. be interesting to see how that turns out. Oh, <laughs> I know. I'm like, I in my head, I'm like, what if he wants to go live with her? Oh, you know? yeah. No, they won't take him, but I know nobody will take Cholo. He's 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 an enigma. But I I definitely had to reevaluate. And it's funny because we're talking about a dog, right? Mm-hmm. We're talking about two dogs, but in the same breath, I think I was a grief snob. And Mm -hmm. I think that I was really judgmental about people that don't get it. And what that really taught me was, is humility. And it taught me that 99.9% of humans are just having their own experience. It's their discomfort. It's their reaction. I was very uncomfortable with my poppy song being in pain and when I'm able to admit that and recognize that, it made me really stop and think, well, Mello, how many people just want you to be okay? How many people just want, don't know what to say because we're talking about a dead baby? How many people don't know what to do when we're talking about your dead mother and your dead father? And those words can be very offensive for people versus the reality that I am in my own human experience. And people just want me to be the the, the girl I was prior to the losses, which that's not going to happen. But I've got to respect people where they are. You know, we're sitting here, meet us where we're at. Like, let, let, let me just have my human experience. But when you're talking about people that don't speak grief, Versus me shaming them and what you should not say and don't say this and don't do this. I think it's that try your best to be kind and compassionate. And again, we shouldn't be shaming either side of it because mm-hmm. I think everyone across the no one wants someone to die. No one wants someone to be suffering and in pain. Nobody wants there to be widows or childless parents out there or orphans or, you know, people without their parents and their loved ones, their siblings, their cousins, their best friends, their puppy sons. Nobody wants that. And so in reality, I think that if we could all just meet each other with kindness and love and compassion you know, I think there'd be a lot less. Gr- I know you, they, they lost one grief snob when all of that happened with Cholo. So yeah, that's, that's my, that's my latest experience. That's so great. I was thinking about one of the things that, that I did when I started getting exasperated with people for the things that they'd say, I had to stop myself and say, okay, did they mean me harm? Were they trying to hurt me? And I don't think I ever said yes to those questions. And, and when I realized that, I, I could be compassionate toward them instead of angry toward them. And, and it made a big difference for me with, with being able to deal with, with other people and not get all upset about it, which is an easy thing to do. So I was grateful for that. I love that story. I love sharing this time with you. And I love you. You're such a wonderful person. And your work is wonderful. And I want you to tell people about the summit, how they can get there when it is. Yes, yes. So the summit is happening December 22nd through the 24th. It's three days this year. It's a little bit different. So it's the sixth annual after Chloe and Friends Online Summit. 
This year's title and focus is Holiday Grief Support over, I think, gosh, where are we at? 30 speakers, I think, across the board. It's a big shindig um, over a three-day span. um, And we're opening up the wait list for it um, probably by, you know, in early December. And we're going to, um, you get on the wait list and then you, you can do the VIP or you can do the, the, it's, it's a free summit for the first, I think if you hit it the first 12 or 24 hours, I don't know how they're doing it this year. I don't deal with that part, but, um, you get to watch it and take what you need, leave what you don't. And, um, it's over a three day span and I'm really proud of it. It's, um, it's designed for six years ago. I had a really hard time with coming into the holidays and I wanted something to look forward to. I wanted something for someone to be able to open, you know, theoretically and, and, and physically open. And so the idea of the summit came and it's uh, six years old now. And it's, I'm really, really proud of it every year. It, it kind of evolves. It, I, I try to like tone it down and it gets bigger. The, the goal is though, is that it will be an in-person summit hopefully in the next two years. Um, so hopefully we'll get to bring you stateside. Emily, I know you're one of the speakers. And so hopefully we'll get to bring you stateside. So that, that that's the goal. But I, I invite everyone. Um, I'm not sure when this will air, but if you missed it, you know, we, we do, we bring it back in January as well for, for you guys to watch it and kind of as you're hitting the new year. And we know Valentine's Day can be a very heavy holiday for a lot of us that have lost our spouses and our loved ones. And so we definitely, it's something that I've done every year and I love it. I love it. I hope it helps so many people. Oh, I'm sure it does. I I know I'm honored to be a part of it. And three years now, I think I've been on it. Yes, And I I really appreciate that, uh, that honor to help you with that. Well, this has been an amazing conversation. I'm sure that it's giving people lots to think about and hopefully be able to look at things more positively. I think that that would just be great. Yes. Emily, thank you so much for having me. You know, I always tell everyone, I consider you to be one of my mentors. You are such a light. When I think of you, I think of sunshine and um, I I'm just so honored to hold space with you and to watch you evolve and grow in this space from your book to your podcast now. And um, again, I'm, I am sending you all of my love and grace and I just adore you. And I'm so thankful for you. I, I, unfortunately we have to share this space together and why we're even in this space, but the beauty that you've made out of your situation is just so it, it just leaves me almost speechless and I'm never speechless as you know. So thank you. <laughs> thank you so much. Thank you for being here with us today and, and for all the wonderful things you've given people to think about. All of the information about Mellow will be in the show notes. And so you can right now <laughs> copy them down and be able to reach her and uh, see all the wonderful things with After Chloe and be able to contact her. And she, she's a great person to have in your corner. So I highly recommend her for everything she does. Thank you so much. Thank you. Okay. I appreciate you, Emily. And I'll see everyone next week. Do you want more comfort, support, and happiness? Join the Grief and Happiness Alliance. 
Visit my website at lovingandlivingyourwaythroughgrief.com and read my book, Loving and Living Your Way Through Grief. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast, rate it, review it, and binge on all our episodes on grief and happiness. I can't wait to welcome you back to another episode.